It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com, or give them a call, 801-747-LEES. Out to the T-Mobile special guest line we go. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Of course, he's our friend from Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix with us. Chris, happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? We are just talking a little bit uh, before you jumped on about the finals, and uh, the Heat are still alive, Chris. Superhuman performance from Jimmy Butler, but are how, how alive are they still? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, it depends on the health of Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic. Uh, you know, I, I didn't come away from their availability today feeling all that optimistic of their ability to play. We'll see, I guess. Um, but even if those guys play, I mean – it, it, haven't we been here before with the Lakers where, you know, they lose a game, we wonder if something's wrong, and then they come back and win every other game they need to win? I mean, they have quite literally closed out every series without a loss after their first loss, whether it was losing game one to Portland, game one to Houston, game, what was it, three to the Nuggets. They just went out. Uh, that's, I mean, that's just kind of what they've done this postseason. So, I mean, they played horribly in that game uh, last night. I mean, that was as bad as they could possibly play with Davis's foul trouble in the backcourt, not being able to make a shot and eight turnovers for LeBron. I, I can't fathom them playing that poorly again. So, I mean, the, the Heat have life and, you know, good for them for, you know, breathing it back into themselves. But I'm, I'm still betting heavily on the Lakers closing this thing out in, you know, five, maybe six games. Yeah, that's the way I feel, Jake. I don't know. Do you agree? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I do too. I, I know, Chris. You've always uh, thought that Jimmy Butler is is a very, very nice player. Could your opinion change based on what happens in this particular set of playoff games? I mean, if he's able to, you know, lead this team back, he you know leaps to a different stratosphere. I mean, that's you know that's true superstardom. If you can overcome a two-one hole and win, you know, four of the next five against the Lakers and LeBron James. I mean, that's that's the stuff legends are made of in a way. Uh, but Jimmy, I mean, the, the only prevailing thought I've had throughout this postseason about Jimmy Butler is how in the hell Philadelphia gave up on him. Like, I just, I don't get it. I mean, Minnesota, I mean, that was a lot of soap opera-like drama. Chicago, there were other reasons. But Philadelphia was, you know, one bounce of a Kawhi Leonard ball from going to the conference finals potentially. And to just walk away from that and – not pay Jimmy Butler, I don't get it at all. I mean, you heard LeBron say it yesterday. Jimmy is one of the the best competitors in this league. He's clearly rubbing off on you know young players on that team like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and even Adebayo. I mean, it's it's just remarkable that the 76ers, given the position they're in right now, could have walked away from him. How differently will we view uh, Jimmy Butler after this is all said and done? I don't know how, how differently we'll view him. Um, you know, he's, he's he's had a great postseason. I mean, it's, he's just sort of taking, you know, steps uh, in in the direction of of real stardom. I mean, he's 
he's a guy that's always going to be an all-star. And, and I think if you can succeed at this level, you become not just an all-star, but a player that you can make the tentpole player on a team that can win a championship. And as much as that for Butler, you know, this Heat team, even if they lose the next two games, I mean, they've positioned themselves pretty well for for a long future. I mean, they're going to be players in free agency in 2021. And there's no better, uh, you know, kind of sales pitch to potential free agents than, you know, seeing what's happened this season in the bubble, making uh, making the finals. And Butler's had such a an instrumental role in that. So, I mean, it, you know, the, obviously Miami wants to win this championship, but uh, I mean, the ripple effects of this postseason for Butler and beyond are, are going to be significant. Maybe it's unfair to ask this question after, as you talked about, LeBron had a had uh, all those turnovers last night. But have you seen slippage in his game at all? How do you evaluate him against himself? I mean, not really. He's not the superhuman athlete we saw in the Miami years, but he's not that far off. He's a much more committed defender than he's been the last three or four years, and that's a credit to him and you know, his willingness to expend more energy on that end of the floor. It, it's obviously incredibly useful having a, a star like Anthony Davis to lean on. I mean, Davis, uh, you know, last night's game notwithstanding has been brilliant almost all postseason. And, you know, the ability to, to lean on Davis to make plays offensively, to control the glass, to be the physical presence that they need in the paint is certainly very useful for LeBron. But, I mean, he's having, we've said this before, the best age 35 season ever. And, you know, looks like he can probably put together at least two or three more, if not, you know, more than that. So, I mean, he's, you know, we uh, I, look, we can have the Jordan debate now, I'm, sh- I'm sure, but in two or three years, if LeBron keeps pushing this team deep in the playoffs and into more finals and potentially more championships, which is very much a possibility with this group, uh, you know, he, he might put that, that argument to bed very quickly. You mentioned Philly earlier, Chris. What do you think about Doc as a fit there as head coach? I like it. Uh, I, you know, look, putting aside the X's and O's stuff, and that's clearly important, uh, that locker room needs gravitas. Like, you need somebody there that can, you know, speak to Joel Embiid, speak to Ben Simmons, and, put, and pull them together, and, and that's Doc Rivers. I mean, you, you could have hired Ty Lue. Maybe he would have done the exact same thing. He's obviously had that experience before. There are other coaches on the market. But Doc Rivers, you know, is still a championship coach is still maybe the most respected coaching voice in this league outside of perhaps Greg Popovich. Uh, you know, that that in and of itself, I think, is incredibly valuable to the Sixers to have the strongest possible voice in that locker room and, and, and just being able to speak to those guys and command their respect right away. And that's, that's exactly what Doc can do. So I think it's as good a hire as you could possibly make if you were the Sixers. Chris, and all your comings and goings in the NBA and covering it, have you gotten to know Eric Spolster at all? And, and do you have any insights on on what makes this guy tick and what makes him such a good coach? Yeah, I know him really well. Um, and, I mean, look, he's his entire coaching sort of blueprint formula, whatever word you want to use, is off of what he learned from Pat Riley. I mean, it's just like he was in the video room. And the only – you know, coaching mantra that he knows is Pat Riley to an extension, Stan Van Gundy, uh, who was a Riley disciple. And that hard-nosed, win-at-all-cost approach has, you know, it bled down on him. He's also obviously incredibly bright. I mean, he's, there's some, you know, coaching in a way is a gift. I mean, so, in some ways, if you, you have sort of an ability to, to understand X's and O's, 
uh, and you can certainly learn one, but I think there's a lot of, of, of a gift to it. And Spolster has that gift. So when you combine that with just a relentless work ethic, uh, it's no surprise he's as successful as he's been. I mean, I, I think Spolstra, even if they lose this series, has entered the pantheon of Popovich and, and very few others as you know the best coach in basketball. And you can certainly make an argument that right now Eric Spolstra is the best coach in basketball. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And, Chris, it seems to me uh, Kyrie Irving is bored because he's, he's making some comments that have been making waves. Of course, he, he said he's glad to play with Kevin Durant, somebody that can finally make a clutch shot in a big game, which seems crazy to me. But what do you think about what he said about Steve Nash, how Steve Nash isn't really the coach, that they'll all kind of take turns coaching? I thought that was interesting, to say the least. I mean, I've almost become numb to Kyrie since I covered him in Boston for a couple of years. You know, it's this is classic Kyrie. He says something remarkably dumb and then, you know, turns around and blames the media for, you know, talking about it. I mean, this this was not a media podcast. This was a podcast with Kevin Durant, his teammate. And not only does he, you know, inadvertently slight LeBron James by saying Kevin Durant's the one guy that can make shots, he put his coach in in a tough spot right away by saying he's not really the coach it's collaborative effort whether it's kd or jacques vaughn or whoever i mean steve nash is the coach it is important to have a decision maker no team in modern history has ever been successful without having that dynamic i mean frank vogel is unquestionably the head coach in la i mean lebron is the leader on the floor but nobody's questioning what Frank does on the sidelines, play calling, substitution patterns, everything. You know, Kyrie has kind of cast that and thrown that into doubt. And you know, he can blame the media all he wants for it, but he did it. He said it. And, you know, he's going to get to training camp. He's going to get asked about it. They'll probably get real dismissive with reporters that do ask him about it. And it's already a distraction. I mean, they haven't played one game as teammates, and this is already a distraction. So I, I just – you know, look, I don't think he's a fundamentally bad guy. I really don't. I've been around him a lot. I just think he says bizarre things, and then he doesn't take any responsibility for him. And this is yet another example. Well, there is at least the potential the Nets could make a, a positive move. Uh, when you look at next season, based on what you know now, Chris, I suppose you would think maybe the Warriors could come back on strong. Is there any other team that you would look at? And I know it's an impossible question, really, because with the, with none of the offseason stuff has really happened yet. But is there a club you would keep your eye on? I mean, the Warriors are the most obvious of examples uh, I'm very curious to see what they do with that number one pick, whether they keep it and you know draft a James Wiseman or somebody like that, or they trade it. I mean, that's that's the team that makes the most uh, is the most intriguing, and and Brooklyn too, obviously with with what they're piecing together. I mean, other than that, I think there's, I mean, like we can say Milwaukee, and if they make a deal, I think they will do something to upgrade that roster to if for no other reason than it would satisfy Giannis, Chris Paul's name consistently gets tossed out there. Um, but those are the teams I think that are the closest to watch going into next season. Everybody else, you know, and again, next season, we're not really sure what it's going to look like. Could we wind up in, you know, bubbles once again? Are there going to be arenas that are open? I mean, next season could be pretty chaotic as it is. I wonder if Boston will bounce back. That's a team you're really familiar with. But everyone keeps expecting them with the talent they have to do, to do more. Well, I think one of the most important things for the Celtics to do nothing this offseason, frankly. I mean, they've had so many significant changes every single year, you know, since 
you know, over the last five years. They kept remarkably making conference finals, which is a credit to those players and the coaching staff. But they need continuity. They need consistency. I mean, you know, it was a year plus ago that they had Al Horford, Aaron Baines, and their starting lineup, and Kyrie Irving was their point guard. Now it's Kemba Walker and Daniel Tice. I mean, just keep this group together. Let them play it a full season together and, and you know, flesh it out with, you know, Ennis Cantor types and, and others that, you know, can, you know, help you around the fringes. So I think that's, that to me with the Celtics is, is the most important thing. They don't need to make a big deal to be in the mix for, for at least a conference championship next season. I think they can do that if they just keep this group together and keep growing it organically. Speaking of next season, how difficult will it be to figure everything out to proceed, whether it's, you know, salary cap to free agency to uh, player uh, association, labor relations? I mean, how difficult is that going to be to get going once this bubble is done? Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. Um, I, I think it's made easier by the fact that Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver have a great relationship, that Chris Paul and Adam Silver have a great relationship. Um, I think there's a feeling amongst players and player representatives that Silver's not out to screw them, but Silver works for the owners, and he's got to make the best financial deal possible, you know, for ownership. And that means, you know, giving, you know, if the players want less than 82 games, it's a haircut coming right off the top of uh, what they're going to uh, to be making. If, if fans can't be in the buildings, well, Silver's made it clear, 40% of, of league revenue comes from, you know, fan-generated uh, revenue. So, I, I, it's, I think there's the potential for it to go relatively smoothly if everybody's on the same page, but all it takes is one issue to crop up to, to scuttle things, and uh, that's what we're watch, watching for closely, what issue the NBA Players Union takes umbrage with early and if that becomes a sticking point in negotiations. Chris, one last thing for me, and it's uh, our listeners have come to trust what you say, what your opinion is, and I'm sure they would be curious to know whether, well, the old cliche question, if the Jazz were a stock, would you buy or sell moving forward? I'd buy it. Um, you know, Again, it comes down to how you fill out the roster around the guys that are there. I, I understand the thinking that the Jazz might have a shorter ceiling than other teams. Um, you know, Conley's going to be a year older. Yeah, how much better is Joe Ingles going to be? I mean, how much better are some of the players around Mitchell and Gobert going to be? But just like with Boston, I think there is room for organic improvement. I think Conley's going to be really good next season. I, mean, I think he's going to pick up you know, kind of where he left off towards the end of uh, the regular season pre-pandemic and be a very good player. I think he's still got a lot of miles on those tires. Um, and, and I believe there's another level to Donovan Mitchell. I mean, we saw, you know, shades of it in, in the bubble with what he did in that first-round series, and I think there's more to come with Donovan. I think he's that good. I mean, he's constantly compared to Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade didn't peak in his early 20s. He peaked in his mid to late 20s. So I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the organic improvement for the Jazz are going to make them a real threat in the Western Conference. But I mean, make no mistake, I mean, the Western Conference one to fifteen is going to be brutal next year. I mean, it's you know Minnesota projects to be the worst team in the conference, and they're going to have the number one pick and you know an all star in Carl Anthony Towns and you know a good player in D'Angelo Russell. I mean, maybe Sacramento's bad, but they still got some good pieces on that team. So I mean, the Western Conference, you know, every night out is there's no gimmies, and you know that that can certainly affect seeding, which as we know affects you know how the outcome of every series. Chris, thank you very much as always. We appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of the finals. You got it, guys.
That's our friend Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, your daily assist, brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. He's buying the Jazz as a stock. All right. Well, I, I agree with him about the Conley thing. I think Conley should be better next year, unless, you know, age really catches up with him in a hurry, because he was, he was a much better player in the bubble. Yeah, and I know I we talked a lot about that as he got more comfortable with what uh, Quinn Snyder wanted out of him. I thought he was much, much better uh, when the season resumed. Well, now that he knows the ins and outs, now it's just a matter of him staying healthy. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly. So um, we'll see. We'll see what the Jazz are actually able to do. I mean, like I asked him, there's just so much that has to be figured out before they even start next season. Yeah, all those complications that make – being an NBA fan, so much fun, right? I mean, we talked about it, uh, le- letter of the law, if they just go by basketball-related income, the salary cap could be down 30% next year, 40% next Man. year. That would that would mean the whole league basically started off in the luxury tax. Like, that's that's not an option, right? So how are they going to figure that out? And that, that involves, and I'm with Chris right there, I hope that the, the continuity between the league and Michelle Roberts and Chris Paul continues because it's going to have to or else, it, you know, <laughs> we're going to be waiting a while for next year. How would you, how would you like to be a free agent this offseason and been waiting for it and planning on it and you've been charting what other people have been getting and then you got this? Uh, just the worst timing ever. I mean, and then uh, juxtapose it with the the players that became free agents when the the cap went up fifteen yes. <laughs> percent when the the uh, the new TV uh, TV deal kicked in. Remember that? Where you know, like, uh, oh, who was the guy who signed Nicholas Batum? Remember that? Mm-hmm. He signed yep. like a twenty five million dollar a year contract just because yeah. that money was burning a hole in Charlotte's oh. pocket. Anybody who didn't sign for at least twenty five million a year was, you know, <laughs> something was wrong with them. In fact, it's funny you say that because George Hill didn't sign for $20 million a year or more, and as a result, he fired his agent. Remember that? (laughs) He's like, you can't get me paid in this environment? You're gone, pal. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I mean, now it's just terrible timing. I mean, yeah, they're going to have to figure out a way. They can't go traditional letter of the law. They're going to have to throw out the CBA and figure something else out. But how – how contentious is that figuring something else out? Yeah, and I wonder how our average listener takes this kind of discussion, considering the hardship that uh, that everyone, the public, and, and NBA fans, a little more specifically, have faced uh, this year because of uh, unforeseen events. You know, I mean, it's just like everyone has had it, uh, or maybe not everyone, but a lot of people have had it rough. And so I don't know how many people are crying for NBA players. Yeah, yeah. Which appendage would you not sacrifice <laughs> to be an NBA free agent this year? Six four six three six. I uh, I, I don't. I don't know how much public sentiment's going to matter because here's here's the problem: is that somebody's got to fit the bill. Somebody's got to the 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 lost revenue. So that's got to come out of somebody's pocket, and the owners aren't going to fit the bill for all of the lost revenue. Which, uh, compare it to baseball. Right now, that's the agreement going on in baseball that the owners are, are going to cover the entire uh, bill for lost revenue. But that's going to ensure a work stoppage because that's not going to be the way it is. So the, 
the the players and the owners are, have got to come together and say, listen, we're we're going to have to share the burden of this lost revenue in a way. Let's agree on how best to do it and how much each side has to sacrifice. Because right now it can't be an all or nothing type of thing. Well, that's an interesting way that you put it because if the players and the Players Association look forward to sharing all the profits, are they just as willing to share the liabilities? Right. And, and that's going to be the fundamental issue that all of the sports leagues are going to have to deal with after this year. They're all going to have to, to figure it out because right now they're, you know, these leagues are just kind of pushing it through and doing what they can because they have to, but it's still not going to make up even close to all the revenue they were normally, they would normally make or were planning on rate uh, on making. So whose pocket does that money come out of? I don't you know. I wonder if this will change the way business is done, even in the good years that some, you know, you got to plan for some unforeseen event that could end up costing you a bunch of money, you know? And sometimes people could use that as an excuse not to want to spend more or share more. But, man, I don't, you know, heaven forbid another pandemic happens anytime soon. I mean, I, this has just been such a weird year that it's enough to make you a little paranoid. All right, we're next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.